This is Folk Life Field Notes, a collaborative podcast between WMRA and the Virginia Humanities Folk Life Program. I'm Chris Boros from WMRA, along with Pat Jarrett from Folk Life. On this episode, we highlight musician Earl White from Floyd, Virginia. Here's Pat to tell us more. Recently, I've been working with Earl White down in Floyd County, Virginia. He's a farmer. He's a baker. And uh, Earl was a co-founder of the Greengrass Cloggers back in the 70s with the late Dudley Culp. And the interesting thing to me, Dudley learned how to clog, but he didn't know what it was called. So he kept doing this dance. He, he learned it at a fiddler's convention. And it took Evelyn Smith Farmer to come and kind of show them some steps. And so Dudley learned the steps. He took it back to this house where they were all living in. Earl learned them. And they would just get together and, and have jams. And when I say jams, usually you think music. I learned while I was there that they would clog without music. They would just get together <laughs> and just dance. And it and, and you're, you're having the same reaction that uh, a lot of the musicians have. They said, you're clogged without music? What are you doing? From that, he, he got into the old-time music scene. It's a social music. And Earl, being a black fiddler, he started off as a banjo player. How he got into the music before clogging was that he heard the Mountain Dew jingle on an old black and white television, <laughs> and he just loved the music. You know, falling into that aspect of, of clogging was my initial introduction to old-time music, and basically even very much the bluegrass music. I mean, I grew up listening to the radio. There was this commercial for the Mountain Dew soft drink. It was, Yahoo! Mountain Dew! And following that was the jingle of, you know, what I later uh, grew to know as Flatten Scruggs playing the music behind that. But I remember vividly from being a kid, and every time that came on, I was very much attracted to the music. Yahoo! Mountain Dew! Oh, beautiful Sal was a stone-hearted gal, refusing to build or to coo. But Clem was right smart, he appealed to her heart with that gal getting good old Mountain Dew. It'll tickle your innards. Basically, we danced to all, did all the big folk festivals and danced to all the big bluegrass bands. And then one year we happened upon the Galax Fiddlers Convention, at which point uh, came across this group called Swamp Root and a group of people from uh, upstate New York, uh, the Henry Brothers. And they were playing this music that was very, very different from the old time, which basically at the Galax Fiddlers Convention led a bunch of us to the back of the festival grounds where we found Tommy Jarrell and Fred, Fred Cogarin, people like that just sitting around playing what they called old time music. And it was at that point, it was an instant marriage between the Greengrass Cloggers and old time music. You know, this is a guy from New Jersey, right? He's, he split his time between New Jersey and North Carolina working at his uh, grandparents' farm. But after he saw Papa John Creech backstage on tour with the Greengrass Cloggers, and his trajectory changed. But then we were dancing in, um, I think it was Evergreen Valley, Maine. Now this is, was an odd combination, but the Greengrass Cloggers, 
Jefferson Airplane, uh, Seals and Crofts, and basically all these high-powered <laughs> rock and roll bands, and the Greengrass Cloggers. And I saw uh, Papa John Creech. For me, it was the first time actually seeing a black person play the violin as a fiddle. And I was inspired, and I was like, I want to do that. Again, other than Papa John Creech and Clarence Gatemouth Brown, there was no black representation from the music perspective. Actually, not even from the clogging perspective. I mean, we were, as Greengrass Cloggers, a very, very unique group. We won the so-called World Championship Clogging Competition at Fiddler's Grove a couple years in a row. And a lot of that was, um, I think, attributed to the fact that we were a unique group. I was the only black person in the group. Uh, we had a Native American, we had a Korean girl, and we were all students. And so we represented this, uh, uh, kind of like this melting pot, you know, which you know, some people say American folk music itself is a melting pot of these different ethnic groups. But that within itself represented a difference in what I'd say the majority of people knew about uh, uh, old time music and any association other than you know, the white uh, Caucasian race. All of the folk festivals we did in the north we, the Greengrass Cloggers, took them by storm. Everything was come in with open arms. More places in the South, you know, there was a very different uh, a response to it. Comments like, oh, Lee, I've never seen a call it fella clog before. Well, you know, these were people who, as it was in most of the country, were not uh, informed or knowledgeable of the fact that as a traditional American dance, part of this dance came right out of the black community. You can't fault those people. If you lived in Floyd County, you never went outside the county, <laughs> you know? All you're going to know is basically what's, what's in your community. Modern folk music doesn't have to be the old folk music. The definition of folk is an amorphous and always changing thing. It just kind of shows you too that like, you don't have to be raised in a certain style of music or art. You can find this stuff as you grow as a person. Most definitely. Some of the best old-time and bluegrass musicians I know came at it from a different trajectory. They weren't raised in it. Like, for example, there was a country club in uh, outside of Greenville, North Carolina, and they wanted to hire the Greengrass Cloggers, but don't bring that black guy. Yeah, well, their term was that colored guy. And, you know, we talked about it, and for some of us, it was like, well, there's really no discussion. They want the Greengrass Cloggers, but they can't pick and choose who they want. We, as a group, are the Greengrass Cloggers.
from my experience of dancing with the Greengrass Cloggers, you know, I started playing the fiddle. At one point, I used to get hired to teach clogging at folk festivals and at camps. And then as I you know, started coming up through the ranks and started playing more, it was a transition where I started getting basically paid or hired to teach my instrument. Even to this day, there's not a lot of people of color who are even aware of this part of their heritage. My goal in playing and getting the exposure was not so much for myself, but giving more people an opportunity to see that, hey, even black people do this, this music, then educating them the fact that, well, it was something that black people have been doing for a long time. Earl is a researcher and collector as well. He's actually put a lot of time into an hour-long presentation that he gives at music camps and, and folklore societies. and He gives public presentations about black Americans in old-time music. And he says it's standing room only most of the time that he gives this. And it, he gave the presentation when we were at his fiddle camp, sitting under the, under the full moon. It was really pretty excellent. But yeah, he's done plenty of research on this, and I think Earl can take it from here. I call it uh, Black Americans in old-time music then and now. And a lot of what it does is, again, it primarily highlights the fact that old-time music is not a black music, it's not a white music, and that it had been pretty much always played together. It's just that um, the downfall has been that a lot of the black community have had no representation or no credit given to the fact that a lot of the music, uh, a lot of the old-time music came right out of the black community. Perfect. <laughs> what was that song? You uh, Piney Mountain. You Piney Mountain? You, Y-E-W. You Piney Mountain. I love it. I was playing on the street in Santa Cruz, California, and I'm looking down the street, and there's this black couple coming up, older couple. And as they're approaching, it appeared to me that they were deliberately either looking away or, or basically looking down as they approached. And literally, they walked right past and made and deliberately looked away as they were walking by. So I stopped playing my tune and ran up to them and just said, Excuse me, can I talk to you for a moment? And the guy was like, About what? What about? <laughs> I was like, Okay, that's fair. So well, I noticed, yeah, you're walking, you got closer to me, and as you started to pass, it, it appeared that you deliberately turned away or looked away. And the wife was like, yeah, we saw you. We saw you from, from down the street. We heard you too. And what they explained to me was that when they saw and heard me playing this music, it reminded them of a time way back in their past. We're from the rural South where there was segregation and a lot of prejudice. So to hear it in that present time just brought back those memories and these were memories that they were basically casting aside. 
And so as I thought about it, I thought, well, if it was once very prevalent in the black community, what, what happened? Why, why isn't it there? If it brings back memories and you don't want to remember it, you're not going to talk about it, you're not going to pass it on. Unlike some other uh, ethnic groups, you know, they may want to pass that history. But that has been my understanding why it's not so much in the black community. Why is it important to keep it alive then? Um, because it's music. <laughs> and it's good music. Why don't we see uh, much of the music in the black community? You know, that's, that's part of it. And, and like I said, that's where I come in. <laughs> in terms of trying to open that door and say, hey, this is part of your community. This is part of your ancestors, part of your family from afar. And it's really cool stuff. You get to get on this. <laughs> so we were dancing at the Angiers uh, Festival and the Bill Monroe Band was backing up the Greengrass Cloggers. Speaking of Bill Monroe, it's a very interesting story that Earl has about meeting Bill Monroe backstage in the Greengrass Cloggers. And it kind of speaks to the erasure of black people in this music. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've gone to museums or I've, been look I've looked at textbooks that show photographs of black musicians where they are labeled black musicians or a black fiddler. And you'll never see a picture of Bill Monroe and it says a white mandolin player. And that speaks to kind of this inherent erasure of the culture. And that goes back to how the banjo was taken over by minstrelsy and essentially de-Africanized. Earl experienced some of this when he was talking with Bill Monroe backstage. And Bill Monroe was, without saying a name, talking about a black fiddler, Arnold Schultz, who arguably got Bill Monroe his first gig. And Bill Monroe walked over to me and says, you know, you remind me a lot of this fella I used to play with way back years and years and years ago. But again, there was no name. There was no name associated with this memory. I don't think that he did not remember the guy's name because the subsequent information that I had obtained yeah, it sounded like they were they were really, really good friends. They played a lot together. Arnold Schultz was responsible for Bill Monroe getting his first gig. He shared and taught him so much in his style. So out of that, it's like, well, you know, if I had more insight, I would ask more questions, try to get more information about it. Everywhere I went, as a greengrass clogger, there were no black fiddlers, you know, one or two here and there. Other than that, there was no representation of the community that a lot of this music came out of. If there were communities of black musicians, <laughs> which I'm going to safely say there are none, okay? There are pockets, not even pockets, I'd say, and probably on two hands count the number of black people that I know that play old-time music. So I'm going to say again, if there were, the message would be, get it out there, share it, 
teach it to subsequent generations of black kids so that they will know that it was part of their ancestors. That's Earl White talking about the tradition of black old-time musicians in America. Pat Jarrett from the Virginia Folklife Program, thank you for sharing this audio with us today. Beautiful stuff. Thanks, Chris. Glad to be here. Thank you.